going to be bringing a series back from America called Dominion Living. I just finished this. It's six CDs that deals with the mind and the mouth and money and morals. And um, it, it helps you understand that if you do not have victory in your money, you don't have victory. And if you don't have victory in your mouth, you don't have victory. I can understand, I can talk to, the Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. I can talk to you and tell whether you have victory or not by what you confess and by what you say about yourself and about others. First Corinthians chapter 12. Now, I'm going to be dealing now with the intercessors, say personality profile of an intercessor. Now, let's go back and review. We are all called to intercede, but we are not all intercessors. How many of you are here, though, and you feel, after hearing me preach, that you are an intercessor, that you have a call of God to intercede, that you have travailed, you know what the burden of the Lord is, you understand the concern of the Lord, you feel the heaviness, you feel the emotions, you feel that, and you are an intercessor. It is your ministry. Primarily, prayer is your ministry. You don't just pray because you're supposed to pray, but you pray because you love to pray. Prayer is your life. Life, and that's that's part of an intercessor raise your hand if I'm talking to you a church cannot survive and as I read to you earlier the foundation of the Old and New Testament church is based on intercessory prayer chapter 12 1st Corinthians and verse 1 then verse 11 now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I would not have you ignorant the word ignorant there means unlearned okay not stupid it means unlearned so if he does not want us unlearned, it means he wants us what? Learned. So that means it is possible then, if he does not want us unlearned, I do not want you to be ignorant, then he's saying I want you to be learned. To be learned, you have to be what? Taught. So I just proved to you that spiritual gifts can be taught after they're caught. For years, Brother Stone King says gifts are not taught they're caught i agree with that but i agree that after they're caught there has to be instruction for us to learn because paul said don't be unlearned don't be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts then verse 11 but all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit dividing every man severally as he will talking about all the different manifestations of the gifts of the spirit that they all work together to the glory of the lord now in intercession, we can find that in the business world, how many of you work outside the church in the business world? Raise your hand. Business. In, in the business world, they have something called the Pareto Principle. Do you know what that is here? The Pareto Principle. That's where 20% do 80% of the work. In most sales forces, in most businesses, in most communities, 20% of the employees do 80% of the work and 80% do 20%. It's the same way in churches. Isn't it amazing? 20% of the people do the majority of the work and the rest just come and walk in on Sunday and go, oh, isn't this neat? That music sounds real good. These people have worked hours practicing that song and you're like, oh, the sound's too loud. If you'd worked 10 hours on that song, you wouldn't care. You'd just be glad to get it over with. And so 20% do 80% of the work. It is the same in prayer. They did a survey. It was about 10 years ago. How many believe in a literal heaven or a literal hell? It was amazing that over 60% of the denominational preachers in North America no longer believed in a literal hell. So if your pulpits don't preach a literal hell that takes out conviction. No wonder people can live any way they want to and then come to church and think they're saved. But in that 
in that statistic, they asked the question and they broke it down. All churches, all denominations across the board that 5%, 5% had a consistent daily routine prayer life. And then people wonder why we're not seeing the revival of the book of Acts. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why aren't we seeing it now? Has God's words changed? No, but the church has. And everyone's wanting to preach since the movie come out, The Passion of the Christ. I think somebody needs to preach, where did the passion of the church go? You can have the passion of the Christ. We need the passion of the church. The church has to be willing to yoke herself with the fervency and the discipline and the desire. Oh, Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost already. Hallelujah. So 5%. The gift of intercession is the ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ. Now, it's not to everybody. Again, you got to understand not all people are intercessors, but all people can intercede. But the gift of intercession as a personality is given to certain people to pray for extended periods of time on a regular basis. And they see frequent and specific answers to their prayer to a degree much greater than that which is expected of the average Christian. Many of us that have daily prayer lives, we pray the scripture, we pray the will of God, we cover our family, we pray that our steps are ordered of the Lord. We can do that on 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. That's great. We go, God moves. But an intercessor can and get in the move of prayer and in three hours they're just getting started and that is a gift that if you have it i'm going to teach you if you don't have it don't be condemned about it because i guarantee you if you don't have that gift you have another gift of the spirit that an intercessor does not have this is where i'm going to try to help intercessors we must be very careful not to judge people that don't have the gift of intercession because those who are called to lead the church normally must be gifted more with administration and teaching than they are intercession and if an intercessor ever gets confused and thinks that the pastor is carnal because God uses him more to do the practical business side of the church while they're back here praying they can begin to cause confusion in a church not understanding that if the pastor stayed on that level of the spirit he would be so drained and emotional and tired and fried in his spirit that when he walked out here he wouldn't even have a word from the Lord so for me when I pastored and trained my intercessors I taught them that even though I pray and I do intercede and there were times I would lock in the church two or three days and I give myself over to the prayer of the spirit. There are also times where I have to get into the leadership and the apostle mode and teach and develop and study and read and train and invest and have staff meetings and board meetings and vision meetings. And, and at that point, that's when they need to be in the prayer room fighting and warring and helping carry that load. And instead of it lifting them up, it lifts the whole body up because a rising tide raises all ships so if you get the rise of the tide of the spirit and the anointing moving through prayer then all ministries and all leaders and the entire church comes up but the problem is many intercessors because they think they're spiritual because they're operating in that gift then they become judgmental to those that are not called to be intercessors well, we're the spiritual ones and they're the carnal ones. I've seen entire churches divided by you have the spiritual people and you have what's called the carnal people. But it always amazed me. The people that they're calling carnal seem to have their houses paid for, their marriages were good, they worked real jobs. And sometimes the one that said they were spiritual and an intercessor couldn't even keep a job. And I'd be like, well, say balance. 
And that's what God's going to help us to do today. Now, there are five characteristics of an intercessor. Right? One, two, three, four, five. Number one, they pray longer. Brother Jim wears me out. After maybe an hour, two hours, I'm through. I'm ready to get up and go eat pizza. He's just getting started. Brother Jim and Sister Anna, when she was living, I have literally timed them at the church. They have prayed at one time. I timed them nine hours in the sanctuary praying and interceding. Brother Super, did you feel guilty? Nope. I think in nine hours I took two naps. I didn't feel guilty at all. I was going to hospitals and visiting people, coming back to the office, checking on something, everything going good. I'd leave again, go do my duty, come back. They're still in there praying. Oh, but Brother Super, you should have went and prayed. But why? That's their gift. I'm operating in my gift. Oh, I wish I was helping you. They pray longer. They pray more intensity, with more intensity. That deals with what I told you about burden and travail. True intercessors know how to travail and pray through a burden. Now, something you need to understand, and I probably already told you this, but all of us need to know that a burden or a concern from the Lord, when God puts a burden, if you're an intercessor, when God is activating you to pray intercessory prayer, not uh, supplications prayer, not thanksgiving prayer, but when God is activating you to intercede, and what is that? To pray a burden through. Do you remember that? When God is activating that, the emotion that you will feel is the exact same feeling and emotion as depression. Did you know that? And people that have no understanding of the gift and they are unlearned, they will walk around with a heaviness and depression. Well, Brother Super, how do I tell the difference? Simple. If it is of God, when you yoke with the travail and the burden and you pray it out, when it bursts, joy will rip through you. And it will loose you in laughter and joy and liberty and victory. And it will break. If you're praying and uh, travailing and it never breaks to joy, you're dealing with depression. So what a lot of people think is intercession is really depression and you need to just get happy and go get some help. Or what a lot of people think is depression is not depression, it's intercession. And you could pray it out and that thing would lift off of you. And you would say, my God, I've been walking with this, not understanding what was going on. And it was a mood swing. And sometimes you get confused and my wife would call me and say, honey, you got to help me. I don't know if I got a burden or I'm depressed. And I ask her a few questions. How many of you can relate to that? Sometimes it mixes it up. The way to know the difference is when I go to prayer. The first person I heard teach that was Brother Billy Cole. Brother Billy Cole told us that years ago because as an intercessor and prophetic personality, if I had not heard that years ago, I probably would be sitting in a psychiatrist's office right now saying, what's wrong with me? Examine me. Because I have a prophetic personality and I am an intercessor, I have mood swings because God uses emotions if he's going to use you in spirit say spirit equals emotions so if god is going to use you in the spirit he uses your emotions and it's by your emotions that's why people say i feel this i feel that intercessors are really into that prophetic personality types are really into that i feel this is going to happen how do they feel it they have learned how to listen to the warning bell in their emotions there are things that i can prophesy to people because it is a feeling i feel 
But yet at the same time, if God uses your feelings for the positive, then everything that God does, the enemy has a counterfeit. Do you understand that? For everything that is God, there's a counterfeit. So if God can use your emotions to use you in the spirit, the enemy will attack your emotions and send emotional destabilizers in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your career to try to cause you to become emotionally, mentally unstable because if he can do that, he can affect your spirituality as an intercessor. So that means that an intercessor must spend much of their time girding up the loins of their mind by the word of God and protecting their emotions and their feelings. Because if not, they get confused with what they're feeling. And just because you're having a bad day doesn't mean God's having a bad day. Now more intensity, number three, they enjoy. Now here's the difference between people without the gift and people with the gift a true intercessor enjoys and receives more personal say personal satisfaction from their times of prayer they love to pray they live to pray they love to be alone with god they love to just hide out with god they they receive personal some people praying they know it's right and god i feel your presence but i gotta force myself i've got to set my alarm i've got to say okay i'm gonna pray one hour then ding okay i'm through i can leave now an intercessor that's not them they just get hit out with god and they're late for work they might miss meals they they might they just oh my i win with jesus and that is their calling their intimacy with the lord uh number four they see free and dramatic answers to their prayers they see fruit i told you that earlier if you are praying and travailing and birthing and no baby's coming out if you're moaning and there is no fruit if you're planting apple seeds and you got a banana orchard coming up you need to be careful because it's not god it's moodiness it's depression and it's emotion then number five they are acutely aware of hearing quite clearly from god I call it prophetic intercession. What many of us call intercession, I call it prophetic praying, prophetic intercession, because the prophetic gifts operate, and most intercessors, say most intercessors, have a prophetic personality and a prophetic gift. They feel things, they see things, and they hear from God. The way to know you're around a real intercessor is they talk about God talking to them like their grandmother calling them. Is you're like, how are you today? And they're like, oh, I'm great. You know, the Lord spoke to me today that in three days he's going to do this. He's going to do this. And the Lord told me to tell you. And you're like, you're talking to God. And they don't even realize it's weird. That's what I had a lady tell me a few weeks ago. She said, Brother Super, I went to one of your sessions and you talk about angels and demons and shadows coming up and down the wall and people getting healed and prophecies. And you're saying, God told you this. And you talked to an angel and this angel took you up and you did this. And she said, you act like it's normal. She said, it's not normal. She said, the stuff, you just act like it's, and she said, that's why she enjoyed our teaching. She said, it's just so practical with you. You're not all spooky and mystical. She said, it's just like, it's just every day. And she said, when you talk like that, it makes me believe that I can do it that way. But that's a true intercessor is it's just easy for them. They're like, you know, I saw three angels standing over that building and the Lord spoke to me that that's going to be where our new church is. And the angels of the Lord are already gathered around and you're like, where? I don't see nothing. Where? I've never seen anything. I've had preachers make fun of me and call me and say, what does God sound like? I said, not like you. I will tell you what the voice of God sounds like. Samuel 
when God spoke to him three times, the voice of God sounded so much like Eli because Eli was the man that he was submitted to. The voice of God will always echo the voice of your leader. And the voice of God sounded so much like Eli that Samuel went in and woke him up and said, what are you saying? He said, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And finally, the third time he said, go back. That's God trying to speak to you. But the voice of God must have sounded like Eli because Samuel kept going in there and saying, what are you talking about? What are you trying to say to me? So that teaches us that if the voice of God that you're hearing is opposite than the voice you're hearing from the pulpit, you're probably not hearing from God. Uh, I'm going to just touch uh, Galatians 4.19. I taught it earlier. My little children of whom I travail in birth again and the Christ be formed into you. And then I'll get into the types of intercessors and then I'm going to get into the pitfalls and that's where it's going to get fun. Now, talking about travail, who travails in the natural the most? Travail as in childbirth. Let's get deep. Who? Women. Mothers. Because women know how to go to the brink of the death in the natural. God uses in every gifting, say word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gift of faith, discerning of spirits, uh, tongues, interpretation of tongue, prophecies, healings, miracles. In all of the giftings that are supernatural, God uses your human personality and your human giftings to match his calling in your life. Does that make sense? So if that's true then, then women are more susceptible to know how to travail and intercede. That's why there seems to be more female intercessors than male intercessors. I don't believe it has anything to do with the call of God being less on men, but I believe that it is easy for women to get emotional. And it is easier in some cultures. Now, my family is completely different. I'm the emotional one. Ah! My wife's the one over here saying, give me facts, give me facts, give me facts. I'll call her, Davy. Oh, this is what's happening. She says, "Calm down. What's happening? Okay, give me facts." What? And we're kind of confused. She says that God gave me that so I can minister at women's conferences because I, I think with the left side of my brain, she thinks with the right side of her brain. And and women are predominantly intercessors because of their ability to feel pain and feel emotion. Because many of us have to understand: Do you agree in Singapore that females are the more emotional of the species? Females like verbal communication. They like to talk. They like to cry. They like to hear about your day. And men want to read the paper, drink a hot coffee. And, and the woman, she's been at home all day cooking, cleaning. You've been in traffic 12 hours. You come home and you're walking in and you go, hmm. And she's like, hi, how's your day? Guess what I did? Look what the kids did. Here's their grades. Here's this homework. What do you want for supper? Where are we going to go tonight? You want to go with me out? You want to go to a restaurant? You want this? How do you feel? I feel good. I feel sad. I did this. You want to see my mother? My mother's coming to visit. You want this? When are we going on vacation? Can I buy this? You like this new dress? You want to see my new dress? You want to come here? And the men are sitting there. That's why men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. And women are the more emotional, but you put it in church. When you look at praise and worship, when you look at intercession, when you look at worship, who are the most predominant worshipers and the most predominant prayer warriors and the people that God uses more emotional in even the church culture are women because it is their natural proclivity to be emotional. 
So it does not mean that they are more spiritual than men. It means that God normally uses men to do the work of the ministry. And he uses women in their emotions to birth it. So the women become the mothers and the nurturers. And the men become the husbandmen or the laborers. That's the divine plan. The women become the nurturers and the mothers. Does that mean men are not intercessors? No, I didn't tell you that. I'm an intercessor. But I'm talking about predominantly, probably about 75 to 80%. Women are the mothers and the nurturers. And then the men are saying, okay, how are we going to get a building? How are we going to pay for it? we got to have new Sunday school rooms. We're having problems with parking. we got to do this. we got to raise funds to send our mission trip over here. And they're thinking about how we're going to do it. And the women over there go, oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And it works together if you don't fight one another. But when a woman demands a man to change and the man demands the woman to change, you end up with divorce. Because we can only change everything. You cannot change your nature. A leopard cannot change his spots. We say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. The hardest thing that God ever taught me is you can't cast out flesh. You cannot cast out flesh. You can beat out flesh. But you can't cast it out. You cannot change your true nature, who you really are. God made you. I go back to my sermon last night. You are the miracle. God made you a peculiar way. And if you're not being fulfilled the way you are, you need to find the plan of God for your life because you may be trying to force something to happen that was never the plan of God in your life in the first place. That's why it's important to marry the right person and to not be unequally yoked together. And I just want to go on record that I agree with teaching the young people that they don't need to casual date. Because when you're kissing on just anybody, you're sharing spirits and you're meshing spirits and you're doing a Hollywood carnal culture and you're bringing it in the church. It is imperative that you marry the right person because I don't want people to raise hand, but there are people here that their marriage happened before God. And now what God has joined together that no man put asunder. So now they're trying to make do with the situation that it may not have been. They may not have married somebody that was completely the will of God for them. But now that they've come in the kingdom, the Lord can take a bad situation and turn it around. And what the devil meant for evil, God can turn it around for good. And I believe that. But I'm telling you, you'd be so much further alone if you would let God give you somebody that matches your gifting, your personality, your calling, and your passion. If I had married anybody else, I don't even think I'd be saved. Can you imagine 18 years? This woman has went with me to Africa, to India, to the Caribbean, to all over. She's washed clothes in a muddy bucket of water with a washboard in Guyana. We've lived and we went, when we went to India to start that church, we took 600 U.S. a month. We rented a room with a bathroom and lived with a Hindu Indian family for six months. No air conditioning, no fan, no hot water. My wife's beautiful and intelligent. I put her through some stuff. But I married her so young and it was the will of God. She didn't even know she was suffering. She thought everybody did that. People ask her, they're like, oh, sister, sister, we feel so sorry for you and your husband's always gone. She's like, I thought everybody did this. It's just because she fits me. What if I'd have married somebody that sits home crying every time I leave and you can't leave me. I'm lonely and I need you and you're my husband. So you better be careful who you team up with in the spirit. So women predominantly are our intercessors. So when I begin to deal in a few moments with mood swings and emotions, I told you all that in a positive way so the ladies, the sisters, don't get mad at me. 
because I'm an intercessor. So I wanted to tell you that up front because some of the things I will teach in a few minutes may seem personal because I will be dealing a lot with the female personality because the enemy can take what God has meant for good and can turn it around and use it against us. That's why we're not ignorant concerning the devices. Now, there are four different types of intercessors. There are general intercessors. General intercessors. This is what I said earlier. The general intercession, people that intercede, like coming and putting your hands on the maps and the nations, and ever so often you pray for the world, pray for the nations, pray for your neighborhood, do prayer walking, do prayer mapping. That's general intercessions. That's really not a travail. That's not an instant thing that just hits you and that you birth, but it's a general type. It is effective. It is intercession, but it's more in a general format, number one. Number two, crisis intercession. Crisis intercessors can't pray a list if you paid them. They can't pray the Bible if you paid them. And that's one thing I'm always telling intercessors. Read the word, read the word, read the word. Because crisis intercessors, they pray basically out of emotion and out of needs. They just wait until he hits them and then Katie bar the door. Here you go. Just ah! crisis intercessors. They wait on the burden to hit them. The negative of a crisis intercessor is when they don't have that heavy crisis on them. They're they have a difficulty being consistent with normal study and normal praying. Oh, I just hit somebody. I think I'm helping somebody right now. A crisis intercessor, it, because it's so powerful and it's so, you get yoked and it's God praying through you. And there's this power and anointing that when that lifts, it's kind of boarding. Just sitting around and opening the word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shout, I walk, da, 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 da. And then you're praying the list. I named this person. I named this person. To some people, that's as deep as they ever get. But if you've ever been an intercessor, a crisis intercessor, like my mother, and she prayed and an angel touches her son halfway across the world, you know, that's pretty powerful. But the problem with that is how when, when that is not there, you still got to pray. When that anointing to pray and that travail to pray and that emotion to pray is not there, you're still called to pray. I would that men would pray everywhere. That all men would pray every way. Pray without what? Without ceasing. That doesn't mean sit at your job and at your desk. And <laughs> no, that's not what he's talking about. So number three, personal intercession personal intercession you have general intercessors you have crisis intercession you have personal intercession this is when you intercede about your personal life and it's not about the world it's not about missions it's not about tj it's not about pastor willoughby it's about you your business your children your marriage your money and you're getting busy and the holy ghost pressing something through because you've got a need it's like the woman with the issue of blood you get the desperation if i could just touch the hem of his gut if I can just touch him. Have you ever prayed that way where you walk in the prayer room and it's like I didn't come in here today to say a lot of Thanksgiving. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like quoting scripture. I got to touch you. I got to get some answers. I got to get some food on my table. I got to get the devil off my children. I got to get the spirit out of my marriage. I've got to get liberty in my home. I need a word from the Lord and you begin to war and you begin to fight. And you begin to take back and release and rebuke and God begins to move. That's personal intercession. There's nothing wrong with that. Say, there's nothing wrong with that. Unless that's all you do. If the only time you feel passion when you pray is when it's about your money, your marriage, or your kids, you're selfish. If all you ever get fervent about is you, 
I see when I pastor, I get so aggravated because I would see parents that they would never move in church. I mean, there'd be people falling out around them. They'd be like this. Hallelujah. Glory. You let one of their kids get in a car wreck. We got to pray. We got to pray. I'm like, why? Why didn't you pray last night? But it's personal intercession. Then number four, and I'll deal with our last session today. We're going to get very in-depth warfare intercession. This is when God yokes you with the angelic host and the captain of the host is standing. And as you begin to pray and you begin to give commands, angels are commissioned. The Bible said that he shall give his angels charge over thee, that they shall encamp around about you to keep you in all your ways. And you literally begin to pray and be joined in the heavenlies and you become a part of a tremendous warfare that I've already read the back of the book and we're victorious we've already won hallelujah you ought to get excited about that we've already won it's already done it's completed that's why Jesus said it is finished so we have warfare so you have general intercession crisis intercession personal intercession warfare intercession now we're going to deal with the perils and pitfalls of an intercessor personality type so all of our intercessors are people that feel like you might be an intercessor. Buckle your seatbelts. Number one, you need to learn there is a difference between superstition and spirituality. There's a difference between superstition and spirituality. Everything you feel is not God and is not the devil. There are some things that are just real life. And just because somebody's got a lion in their yard don't mean they're devil. And just because somebody has an idol of another religion in their taxi don't mean they're demon possessed. I've seen intercessors. Oh, did you see that person? He had a shirt and it had this on. He didn't want to go out naked. He just put on a shirt. Oh, I went into their home and they had frogs in their homes. And, and I was taught by missionaries that demons can get into frogs. So they must be devil worshipers. Oh, get real. I've had things happen. I've gone into homes and felt things from things and said, get this out of your home. And God removed and done. It does happen. It is real. But it's rare. Most people don't have a clue what's going on. They're just trying to get by the best they can. And they're following the religion they were taught. And most of them are not demon possessed. They're, not bound. they're bound by philosophy and not devils. And all they need is for light to be presented to them with love and not condemnation. And if you could come across with compassion and sense and intellect and anointing at the same time, they would say, hey, I would like what you have because what you have is working for you. What I have is making me sick and tired and I've lost my family and I have no joy. I have no peace. But look at you. You have love, joy, peace, and the Holy Ghost. You have energy. You have, oh, hallelujah. I want to be like you. So superstition versus spirituality. Number two, supernatural versus the sensational. The difference between the supernatural and the sensational. The supernatural is like the barren widow that the Bible says she was barren, but she was blessed because when the prophet come to her after she had her son and her son died, the prophet said, how are things with you? She said, it shall be well. Then she comes and sees someone else and he says, how is it with you? She said, it is well because the supernatural is you learn how to live for God and give God the glory and be the best you can be no matter how bad things are in your life. But many times we miss the sensational and if it's not all woo and everything happening and people running and jumping and clapping and frothing at the mouth and speaking in tongues and barking like dogs and, and growling and, all, and, and getting all hyper and all this then it's not spiritual and we separate many times the sensational is sometimes not the supernatural 
Sometimes things that just seem to be boom, they're awesome. Like the woman following Paul and Silas. She was following behind them and she was going, oh, these are the servants of the most high God. Oh, these are, she was telling the truth. Nowadays in our culture, many of us would turn around and say, oh, she's a prophetess. She's saying, I'm of God. What she was saying was truth. But even when the devil speaks the truth, it's a lie. Because he's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. And even though she was speaking verbally the truth, the Bible said, but Paul being grieved in the spirit. Because it was sensational, but it wasn't supernatural. And many people would turn around and say, oh, she's got a word of the Lord for me. God's blessing me. I'm a prophet. I'm a servant of the most high God. He rebuked the devil out of her. So what I'm saying, be very careful when sensationalism causes you to question truth. Because something can be sensational and fun and look spiritual and exciting and not be truth. It can even be speaking truth in the spirit of a lie. And the way you'll know the difference, there'll be a warning bell in your spirit go off that something is not right. The discerning will come. We need discernment. Say discernment. We need a fresh understanding of discernment to understand is this God, is this me, or is this the devil? This is what I teach people normally on discernment. Are you learning anything? On discernment, this is what I teach. Usually... The first impulse you have, the first emotional feeling, and I've been teaching on feeling a lot today. The first feeling you have is going to be God. The second impulse you have is going to be the devil trying to counterfeit and confuse what you heard from God. The third is going to be the flesh trying to figure out which was which. And normally I've learned to go with my first impulse, the very first thing. And if I meet you and boom, I feel negative, that first impulse. After I get to know you better, I can logically say, oh, that's not right. They're not that way. They're not that way. But I've learned the hard way. I need to go back to my first impulse because God knows all things. And God understands the private and secret things of the heart. And so I learned to follow that inward witness, say inward witness, that discerning in my spirit. So the superstition versus spirituality, supernatural versus sensational. Number one pitfall of intercessors is becoming demon or devil conscious write this on the back of your paper becoming demon conscious everywhere you go there's a devil lucifer loves attention that's why he was cast out of heaven he was tired of worshiping the bible said that his vocal cords were like an organ his eyes were like sardic stones he was like a star he was bright he was shiny he was beautiful and he said why am i wasting my time giving all the glory to god when i could get it for myself here look at me put your attention on me the enemy loves attention if you're called of god to operate in the spirit Spirit, the worst thing you can do is focus on the devil, talk about devils, constantly praying against devils, constantly saying, oh my God, it's a devil this, it's a devil that. Ignore the devil and he will flee from you. Resist him, build up a standard and say, I'm not moving, you better get out of here. He loves attention and there are some things that are just life. And this is where I'm going to hurt some of you and I don't want to, I'm trying to be nice. Some of you don't need a devil yet. Because if you don't have, have victory in your feelings, say my feelings, my finances, or in dealing with other people, I cannot get into spiritual warfare. Or I will be destroyed if I do not have my emotions under control and my finances under control. You don't need a devil to fight some of you. Some of you are in such debt, you don't need a devil. The debt itself is hindering you from liberty and worship and the joy of the Lord. There's some of you, you don't need a demon.
when you don't know how to deal with people and you're so hurt and bitter and confused and have so many personal problems in your life if you were fighting a devil it would be the breaking point oh lord it's getting quiet now and much of what we call fighting the devil is credit cards and not managing our finances and acting like a smart aleck or getting in personal problems are becoming friends with people God didn't want us to be friends with in the first place or being joined with things that God didn't want us to be joined with in the first place or not knowing how to harness our emotions and our feelings and then we blame it on the devil oh the devil's fighting me well what do you mean the devil's fighting you well I'm $30,000 in debt my mother-in-law's been living with us for two months and it's not the devil it's life and true intercessor personality prophetic personalities want to get out of the real world and it's easy to escape and try to blame everything on the devil there's a demon attacking my finances I do believe that I believe that the demon can attack your finances after you've done everything in your practical knowledge to learn how to handle and invest and grow and plant and receive and do everything you can do yes the enemy will come against your finances but sometimes the biggest devil you fight is the person you look at in the mirror when you brush your teeth every morning can i get honest some of you young men the biggest devil you're fighting right now is some little long-legged beautiful little thing with a little miniskirt batting her eyes at you that devil will send you to hell and she don't even have a pitchfork can i just make myself home some of the biggest devil some of you young girls are fighting it's not the devil with horns it's that devil with a car that tells you if you'll go out with him late at night and don't tell your mom and your dad you'll have a good time yeah you'll have a good time all the way to hell the road to hell is paved with good intentions you need to say get thee behind me satan but that's not a spirit it's just a real person and we need to have some common sense and realize you can't rebuke everything you can't pray out everything sometimes you just gotta live through some stuff hallelujah feelings finances and people number two we, be, we began to inflate the importance of Satan. There are people in the church that act like the devil is equal to God. Like Satan is ying to God's yang. They are not equal. Satan is a defeated foe. He is under your feet. The blood of Jesus has conquered him. The greatest weapon you have is the doctrine of one God and baptism in the name of Jesus. And if you've been water baptized in Jesus' name, there is not a demon in hell that can defeat you. And you need to stand up and say, get thee behind me, Satan. It is written. Take the word of God and begin to beat that demon all the way back out of your house. And say, I refuse for you to come in here. I'm a child of God. I'm covered by the blood. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and we inflate the importance of the devil that there's this big huge struggle and he's almost about to win he's already defeated am i making any sense jesus said i beheld satan fall as lightning from heaven i preached a message years ago satan has fallen and he can't get up but Micah says rejoice not against me O mine enemies because when I fall I shall arise the greatest weapon against the devil is restoration the devil Lucifer failed one time and was cast out of heaven and will be cast into a bottomless pit for a thousand years and judged and cannot repent but every time I fall the grace of God reaches down by the hand of mercy and picks me up it drives the devil crazy when you fall you 
can get back up but Satan has fallen and he can't get up Satan has fallen he'll never be restored he'll never be restored he'll never get back into the inheritance but when I fall I shall arise and if you want to have a church that is fighting the devil the greatest way to fight the devil is find people that are falling and restore them find people that hell has knocked down and restore them and lift them up and love them satan has fallen and can't get up look at somebody and say well get up when you get up you're doing something hell cannot do hallelujah number three prophetic intercessory personality types tend to over spiritualize things well i can't order red curry because reds of the devil and spicy hell hell is hot so i can't eat oh you're laughing some of you have friends you know what i'm talking about we call it flaky wacky people they don't even have common sense you get in church with them you say man this person's spiritual then you try to go out to eat with them and they don't even know how to act in a restaurant the waiter walks up and says may i help you i feel something i'll snap out of it we're in a restaurant order something learn how to use the right fork and the right spoon get some manners we over spiritual everything is not spiritual if it is i'm going to tell you this now this is going to offend some of you but i'm going to tell you i don't care if you speak in tongues five hours you better get you some breath mints because you can be so spiritual you're floating with angels and you still have bo and until you become an angel you need to quit floating around in the clouds we're not angels i don't have wings and i don't have a halo i need soap i need deodorant i need breath mints and i need to get a life sometimes my wife will look at me and say honey i'm like yeah you're human get over it okay brother tenny called me years ago and he said son i have a revelation for you and i said what is it he said number one there is a god oh yes number two you're not him there are some you know, i'm trying to help some there are some things i don't care how much you pray they'll never change there are some people i don't care how much you travail over them they will never change there are some circumstances that even prayer can't fix you say i thought prayer could do everything only if it's already the preordained will of god that's why you need to learn how to pray the will of god it's the will of god that i have peace love and joy it's the will of god that i have unity it's the will of god that i'm a laborer it's the will of god that i'm the head and not the tail there's some things i don't know if it's the will of god have but i know it's always the will of god to win souls it's always the will of god to be a witness it's always the will of god to be a worshiper it's always the will of god to love people it's always the will of god to be compassionate number four that one of the pitfalls is soulishness operating out of your soul the hebrew for soul is nephesh n-e-p-h-e-s-h nephesh n-e-p-h-e-s-h nephesh the human soul i was teaching sister sandra and brother timothy and some of these this the other the soulless nature and we can confuse we are humans we are built in a human soul we have human desires human lust human ambitions there are human emotions is everybody out there human can I just help some of you young men? Married men, this ain't going to help you, but it's going to help the young men. No, it'll help all of you. Did you know that you're a human and that you're a man and that God put the desire for the opposite sex? Hopefully it's the opposite sex. God put that desire in you. It's natural. It's human. And you'll never pray it out. You will not pray it out. There's a difference between natural desire and lust. What's the difference? Lust is the second look. But there's nothing wrong with that first look. My dad told me, he said, son, if you didn't notice she is good looking, I think something's wrong with you. And quit being condemned about it. You're a human. She's fine and go on with it in Jesus' name. 
But it's the second look when you begin to build a scenario where you begin to fantasize and get and focus that area. That's where it's sin and sin when it's conceived bringeth forth death. Am I making any sense to anybody? And we need to understand that some things are human, some things are God's spirit. And we don't need to operate out of our human spirit and our human emotions. That's how we get into spiritual witchcraft. That's how we get into manipulation and begin to pray our will upon other people's will. And I'll get into that in emotion. But soulishness. Now, here's the thing about emotion. Say we are emotional creatures. That ain't the devil. That's the flesh. That's why you have to understand the things of the flesh and have the fruit of the spirit that can fight and combat. The fruit of the spirit handles that, not the gifts of the spirit. Oh, I need to preach in here. You cannot gift your way, prophesy your way, shout your way, or pray your way out of some things. You've got to have the fruit of the spirit, meekness, temperance, moderation, gentleness. You've got to have that coming into your life. Okay, I'm going to give you a principle. In Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For six days, God created by what? By his word. In the beginning was the word. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. The only thing that God created by touch, say feeling, say touch. Oh, I just feel this. Brother Super, I just feel like she's a devil. I don't know. I know she's in church. She talks in tongues and, she, and everybody loves her. But I just, I just feel like she's a devil. And I think we need to just kick her out or something. I don't know. I just, and then I find out the reason you think that is because the boy you wanted to date now is dating her. And so you've turned your, say touch. The only thing that God made by his hand failed. Everything that God made by his word still exists. The sun rose this morning. The moon will be on her axle tonight. The birds will fly and the fish will be in the sea. And the only thing that God created by his hand failed. That's why in the new covenant we are begotten by the word. When you become born again, you become a new creation, not by feeling, but by the word. That's why I would rather you focus on the word than on emotion. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by a word from the Lord. And the only thing God created by touch failed. So be careful if everything in your spiritual life has to do with feelings and emotions and moods and dreams and visions. Make sure that there's something tangible that you can put your finger on the word of God and say it is written. Devil when heaven and earth passes away. His word is never going to pass away. And I'm going to stand on the word of God because his promises are in him yea and amen my emotions can go out the window i can get depressed number five one of the dangers is false travail false travail help us brother super okay i've already taught you but i'm i wrote this down last night i'll, I'll say it you can write it travailing prayer is the type of prayer that gives birth to something in the spirit it can be very intense involving fervent prayer tears and even groaning if you're in the first session false travail is when people got fulfilled last time they travailed and without feeling travail they feel carnal and that they don't have a place in the church and they don't know how to operate in just their natural giftings and winning souls and living in the real world working a real job having a real family raising real kids paying real bills they don't know how to do that kind of stuff so they get into false travail and they literally make it up the reason you know is usually it's completely opposite of the way the entire service is going or the way the entire prayer meeting is going and they draw attention to themselves because they become super spiritual because when everybody else is laughing or everybody else is visiting or the church is over everybody else these are the ones that are always the one every time 
the one, the same people, the same time when everybody's kind of going a different way. They're the one over here. Going, ah, ah, ah. You need to cough. You need some water. You need something. What's wrong? Ah, there's nothing wrong with that if it's real. There's nothing wrong with it if it's birthing something. But if it's not birthing anything but dry heaves, it's not God. Did you get that? And if it's God, God yokes his body. Christ is the head. And all the members are fitly joined together. They are members joined together. And if your ministry and your calling, your emotion is out of whack over here. And the entire body's doing this. And you're over here feeling out of place. Something is wrong. Either you're the only one hearing from God, which some people honestly think. Either you're the only one hearing from God or you might be using travail as a means of spiritual ego. And anytime you use your spiritual life to fulfill ego satisfaction in your real life, you're out of balance. Your spiritual victories, your church life, and your spiritual walk should never cause you ego gratification. Your ego gratification should come through fulfilling your personal destiny, fulfilling your family and your roles as a person, as a mother, as a father, as a husband that is where your ego comes from and if all those areas are down but yet I'm spiritual and I laid on the floor six hours last night who cares your kids are going to hell it false travail false travail it is a false burden I can tell you say, Brother Super, how do I know the difference I've already told you if it bursts out into joy if it bursts out into fruit if it releases after a season and then there's a process of days sometimes weeks where it doesn't come back but God gives you time to restore yourself then just like the physical womb restores itself and you're able to birth again then you can do it in the spiritual if you're constantly having travail I don't know the name but there is a psychotic discipline there is a psychosis it's a sickness that happens that women constantly think they're pregnant and they're having a baby and they put them in an insane asylum because they're not they're faking they have all the symptoms they really feel it they really think it and they're going through the process of travail and birth and nothing's happening but the problem is, is if we get this thing imbalanced and we begin to think that spirituality is sensationalism and the more sensational and the more spooky and the more spiritual you are, the more holy you are, it puts pressure on our people to begin to perform in the spirit to where the more you talk in tongues the louder you are and the more hours you pray and the more flaky you are, the closer you are to Jesus. But it's strange to me that Jesus spent more time with sinners and real people than he did church people. Jesus knew how to fit into the Pharisee's house, the tax collector's house. He hung out with harlots and prostitutes and sinners because he was just common, ordinary, and operated in their real life and their real world. Say real life, real world. Number six, say the Lone Ranger mentality. Isolationism, escapism. Prophetic intercessors use the spirit to escape from their real life issues and responsibilities honey did you clean the house today no i've been with jesus <laughs> i've been with jesus old women for years if you get the curlers out of your hair put some perfume on and when he comes in lay one on his lips he'll want to talk in tongues and get the holy ghost too brother gazowski years ago man of god in san francisco he had two women that received the holy ghost at the same time both of them have husbands that were not saved the one of them did what I'm talking about. Used the spirit. Got this experience. Went home. Honey, you're going to hell. I had a dream about you. Even if you have the dream, keep your mouth shut. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Don't tell everything you see. People coming up. I had a dream about you. You're going to die in a car wreck. If God showed you something and it was God, it means for you to pray to prevent it. Not to tell me to scare me to death. I'm trying to help somebody. 
So she said, you're going to hell. She'd pray for hours. She'd fast. He'd come home. There'd be no food. He's a sinner. He didn't know that. Honey, where's supper? Oh, we're on a fast. We are. <laughs> Number one, what's a fast? Dishes piled up. Coming in, she had her curlers on, her hair all up. Her face all puffy. Gaining weight. You know, just because you're holy don't mean you got to be ugly. Oh, I'm helping somebody. I've been doing weights and everything. You know why? Because the Lord told me, I don't care how spiritual and how holy you are, I gave you a beautiful wife. If you want to keep her, you better start looking good. Some things are just real life. It's real world. Lone Ranger mentality. The prayer closet becomes a hiding place. They're too holy to be normal. The prayer closet, write it down, the prayer closet becomes a hiding place. So this woman, her husband, you know what he told her after about three months? You're crazy. You're a cult. I'll never go to that church. Same church, different lady. You know what she did? She got the Holy Ghost. She loved her husband. She wanted him saved. She never used to cook. She'd always get Chinese takeout, pizza, whatever. She started cooking every evening. He'd come home. He'd walk in the door. There would be the aroma of food and perfume in the air. He'd walk in. She'd say, hey, baby, I love you so much. She'd squeeze him. I'm so glad you're home. I got the kids and we got the house clean because we know you're working a hard day. Within three weeks, he asked her, my God, I don't know what happened to you, but what's going on to you? She said, oh, I got the Holy Ghost. He said, I want some. Called Brother Gazowski and said, how do I get what my wife's got? Say fruit. Say real world. It's amazing. He's saved. The other one never did get in church. Isolation. They're too holy to be normal. Paul teaches strong on prayer and in fasting and spiritual discipline. Jesus taught strong. This is what the Bible teaches. You don't need to draw attention to your holiness or your discipline or your fasting or your praying. That's what the Pharisees did. If you're fasting, if someone's trying to buy you a meal or sometimes the way I'm traveling, people want to entertain me, I have to let them know I'm doing a discipline right now. And I try to just say it real light and usually they're church people and they understand. And then I don't put myself in situations where I have to explain it. I don't want people to know it's no big deal. Let's just go out. I'll sit with you. I'll drink some hot water, some hot tea, whatever. I'll hang out with you. But I'm not drawing attention to myself. And if I did stay up all night praying six hours, it's none of your business. It's between me and God because my father always beat into me. If you get gratif uh, gratification and if you get ego fulfillment from a spiritual discipline, that's all the blessing you're going to get. What you get on earth is all you're going to get because it cut off the anointing that you would get in heaven. Oh, Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. I would rather God know what I'm doing. I would rather the angels be able to hear what I'm doing. I would rather the spirit world shake when I get out of bed in the morning than for you to say, oh, that brother's super spiritual. Isolationism and escapism. Did, did I make that plain enough? We understand that? We use it. We escape from the real world. I've literally had, I had a man come to me in Texas, and he said, Brother Super, God called me to prayer. I quit my job. And that same man a few days later was with the pastor asking for money to pay his rent. He was too spiritual. Weighed about 500 pounds. Talking about huge. I mean, not like me. I'm talking about really big. Huge. Lazy. He wasn't spiritual. He just wanted to sit in the air-conditioned prayer room on his fat you-know-what and pray while his wife and kids were wondering about how they were going to get food in their mouth. So because he was so spiritual, one night we had a prayer line, and he come up in the prayer line because he had bad knees. I whispered in his ears. I said, if you want your knees healed, why don't you lose about 300 pounds? I'm sorry. I know I'm too bold sometimes. But then I told him this. I said, I have a word from the Lord for you. And he was one of these spiritual people. So he just <laughs> said, I have a word from the Lord for you. And God always speaks to these type of people in King James English. 
Have you ever noticed that? They give a tongues of interpretation. It's never the real world. It's always, thus saith the Lordest. Thou was that artist heareth. Heareth, thou was my voiceeth. Have you ever noticed that? He always speaks to King James English people like that. So I just spoke. I said, thus saith the Lord. Gettest, thou was the jobbest. Like my father used to say, you can get glad in the same clothes you get mad in because it's still the truth. You know what? He eventually did. Got a hold of himself, got a job, saved his marriage, raised his kids when he got a hold of himself. Number seven, elitism. I'm a part of a special group. You know, we have our church meetings and we have our services, but there's a group of us that it's just not enough. It's not deep enough. You know, it's not the word. It's shallow. And, and you know, our pastors, now they're good men, but they really don't walk in the level. We want to walk in the level of, of you know, we've heard these tapes and we've seen these people and we... You know, Lee Stone King brushes his teeth too. Oh, I, I, I want to be. And, and so we're going to have our little special thing. And now don't tell anybody, but we're going to have a little special prayer meeting because we're going to get in the level of the spirit that our church is not into yet. But, 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 but we're, we're special. Elitism, a lack of accountability to the brethren. I'm not talking about a lack of accountability to the pulpit. Yeah, I'm talking about to the brethren. When you begin to feel and judge your person you're sitting next to, you judge their spirituality according to their sensational or carnal response to how they live. You don't know what they're going through. It may have took just much angels and supernatural for them just to sit here today. They may have cancer in their body. They may have had a family member die. They may have just got word that they're going to be evicted from their apartment. And it took just as much God for them just to sit there. And you're over here going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you're going to judge them with their carnal and i'm spiritual look at me i'm talking in tongues it may have took just as much god for some people just to sit here today and hear the word and elitism operates this way it manipulates others with tears and moodiness are mysteries that this person alone possesses this is what i wrote my note they're self-appointed gurus god spoke things to me that he's never told anybody else but they're special words and and, and I need to give them to you because God told me to choose you. It's funny, the people they normally choose are people that they know already who are separating from authority and have a problem with submission. And So I'm going to separate you unto me and, 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 and we'll have our own little sessions and we'll have our own prayer meetings, our own visions and our own dreams. And it's amazing how this can develop and end up causing confusion because there's a lack of accountability. We are called to be brothers and sisters, members fitly joined together. Not only are you accountable to the pastor, you're accountable to the people you're sitting next to. Be very careful when in your spirit, even in your private heart, you think you are more spiritual because I want to know what does that mean. It's not in the Bible. I'm, let's just get on it. People say, oh, she's spiritual. What does it mean? Paul said, be spiritual. That word spiritual there is the word pseudokos, which means hungry for the things of the spirit. That's all it means. Hungry for the things of the spirit. It don't mean spooky, flaky, angelic. Are more saved. How can you get more saved? We are redeemed by the blood. We are saved by the foolishness of preaching. Not foolish preaching. Oh, I wish I was helping somebody. How can you get more saved or more spiritual? The person beside you that has no emotion and doesn't even pray or travail in tongues, but just sits quietly and weeps and intercedes and talks to the Lord in their own way can be just as hungry for the things of the Spirit, but they have a different gifting operating in a different emotion, operating with a different personality. God, help me. And if we could all yoke it together and get the intercessors over here, the prophets over here, the ones with giving and charity over here, those that have the gift of chastity over here and get everything together the ministries of helps over here and it's 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 awesome simple 
Then number eight is they have a lack of accountability to the church. They will begin to elevate personal revelation, what they feel God is telling them personally above scripture. Now we're getting into the danger part. This is when they say, well, it really doesn't matter what doctrine you believe. It really doesn't matter what your pastor says. This is what I feel God's telling us to do. And there's people that are just easily led astray. That's, oh, they're spiritual. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're spiritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just follow them right along. And they're causing confusion and breeding confusion. Because I'm going to tell you, I refuse to submit to anyone that is not submitted to somebody else. Because anointing can only flow down. And the only way I can get up is to push the person above me up. And when I go up, the person under me comes up. It's called the divine flow of the anointing. And the anointing flows down, not sideways. And if the person speaking into your life spiritually is not under submission to somebody, they're speaking witchcraft into your life and not the will of God. They begin to destroy pastoral authority by attacking the pastoral prayer life and spirituality. Have you noticed that in this church that pastors just don't seem to be as spiritual as we are? <laughs> Have you noticed? It's getting quiet in here. Have you noticed, you know, and they begin to use that to undermine doctrine and scripture and teaching and loving. And it's like they want to throw all that out and it's all about this feeling of what they think. Be very careful. They begin to have private meetings and prayer times. They're out of sync. Here, okay, three things. Number one, they surround themselves with birds of a feather. Sometimes I don't need discernment of spirits. I have the gift of suspicion. If you're always hanging around the same type people, that's probably what you are. And I don't need to have discernment on some people. If all you hang out with is homosexuals, then that's probably what you are. If all you hang around is bitter people, you're probably bitter. Is that discernment? Did God tell you? I told one woman that in our church. But the truth did God tell you? I said, no, it's the gift of suspicion. Not the gift of discernment, it's the gift of suspicion. Because you are who you hang around. Birds of a feather. Number two, you're out of sync with the vision of the church. Now this is one thing that I've always seen and this is true. When your vision and what you feel God wants you to do is opposite of what the church is doing, you need to check yourself. When everybody else is worshiping and you're crying. And when everybody else is in travail, you're over here going, got holy laughter. Do things out of sync with everybody else so you get attention drawn to you. one thing that years ago and, and I, I mentioned brother Jim because he's been here and I didn't sister Anna come here you met sister Anna she's been dead a year this week she passed away of cancer but they're wonderful prayer warriors when I first went to pastor them they had never been taught but they were teachable now stay with me here 
If I'm teaching some things today and you're like, oh, but the sewer's talking to me, don't feel that way because I don't know you. I know nothing about you. I had this. The pastors haven't been telling me what to teach. As a matter of fact, they heard me teach this at Alexandria, and the pastor said, hey, some of the stuff you were teaching at Alexandria, you can teach it here. So I was beating up them before I'm beating you up. So it's not about you. This is stuff God gave me. And if you've never been taught, that is your excuse. As long as you have a teachable, submitted spirit, you can hear this today and change and get the victory and learn to do this. And boom, it's over with. You're going to go. See, I'm not here condemning you and beating you up. I'm here teaching you. We are not ignorant concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. We are not unlearned. So I'm trying to teach you to be learned, to understand they had a teachable spirit. And I noticed many times in our prayer meetings, the rest of our prayer warriors, we had many elders in the church. We had people that didn't really understand things of the spirit. When I first went there, we did not have a lot of intercessors. When I left on our Tuesday night intercessors class, we would have from 60 to 80 adults that met on Tuesday night just for my intercessors class, which I taught stuff like this every week just to the intercessors, training them. But when I went, it was just Jim and Anna, Sister Jennifer, and two or three more. And, and I noticed that when they would pray, they would pray sometimes out of sync. And they would get into their intercessor and they were in the spirit. But the Bible said the spirit is subject to the prophet. And so I had to teach them that you're causing confusion to the people. And they were humble and they took it. And I tried to do it. Please don't get offended because they knew I believed in them. They knew I trusted them. But I said, here's the deal. You're offending people because they're over here trying to have their prayer meeting. And they're trying to grow in God. But you're scaring them when you're doing Brother Jim used to get into this Indian stuff. And he'd go, and he'd just get loud, loud, loud. And, and, you can, and it was God. But it was to be done in the privacy alone in the spirit and i taught him how to yoke with the spirit of the prayer of the meeting it was amazing how people that used to think he was a kook that by the time i left he was the person they wanted to pray for them because he learned that it's not to draw attention to myself anything that draws attention to me that would stop other people from praying can't be of god so i yoke myself with the temperature and the atmosphere of the meeting and i grow and everybody grows together and even if they don't reach the depth that i can go to i'll go off in private and get deeper but i'm going to come back to the group until the whole group gets to that level because it's not about me getting my attention and my gratification it's not about somebody patting me on the back and say boy weren't you in the spirit it's about me being used to pull the entire congregation the entire body to a level of the spirit oh i feel the holy ghost in here so i'm not here to condemn you i'm here to tell you get as deep as you want to go pray as much as god puts it on you travail as hard as you can but at the same time remember god is not the author of confusion and he will yoke you with the vision of the house. There are some prayer meetings. I believe churches should have secret prayer meetings. There are prayer meetings where we shouldn't even pray in tongues. There are prayer meetings that we should have prayer meetings. There are community prayer meetings where we can join with other denominations and even other religions. Where we can come together and pray. We pray verbal, outspoken prayers. Praying the word. Praying the will of God. Exalting the name of Jesus. And we're praying. But we are not threatening their culture or their church culture. But we are exposing them to just a taste of the anointing taste and see that the lord is good because once they taste it they're going to want more then the spirit begins to draw them now in separate prayer meetings they begin to have unaccountable prayer partners that compete with the pastor for the allegiance of the people this is where churches get divided because you have these prophetic people trying to be spiritual and they're competing for the allegiance of the people number nine witchcraft praying this is when you pray your will on somebody else this is where jesus turned around and spoke to peter now stay with me here 
Peter is the same one that Jesus has set upon this rock, I will build my church. I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Same person, same station. Now he turns around and he tells him. He, he says, oh Lord, that's not true. You can't be crucified. You can't do this, blah, blah, blah. Jesus, what does he do? He turns around and says, get thee behind me, Satan. He calls the same person that preached the Acts 2.38 message the devil. Because he was trying to put his human will. And he could not believe how that could be the will of God. So he said, no, that can't happen. That's not possible. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Because anytime you try to put your human will on somebody else and manipulate them to do what you think is best or what you don't think is best, you step out of praying the will of God and you begin to pray your will. You begin to pray soulish and it's witchcraft praying. You must learn how to pray God's will, how to pray God's word. First John 5, 14 and 15, it teaches us how to pray partnership with God you partnership with what God has already established and I've already told you that today about unity and reconciliation and harvest those are always the will of God so you learn to pray witchcraft praying is when you begin to pray your will now living overseas and and and, and I have been under attack from witch doctors from different movements and different things I have had threats on my life but I I know what it is to be under spiritual attack when I was pastoring, right after my wife had my first baby, we thought it was postpartum depression. My wife has never been very emotional. She is not a depressive personality. I am more the up and down and the mood. You know, I'm more the inner. I'm what I'm preaching to you. That's why I can teach you because that's what I am. I'm a prophetic personality. My wife is very practical. It's black. It's white. She don't care what you feel. She wants the facts. I think she should have been Chinese. I really, she just wants the fact, just make it plain. Tell me the facts, just the facts, ma'am. That's all I want. So, and I noticed I would come home in the evenings, the lights would not be on. She wouldn't have gotten out of bed all day. I'd come back from the office, she'd be at home. She'd just start weeping, trying to eat. This went on for weeks. I said, something is not right. She even taught, should I go to a psychiatrist? Should I go to a doctor? And I've always prayed that God would help us. And we've never really relied a lot on the medical field. And I, I'm not against doctors. We just have chose not to get into all that so i said no I, I i don't know what's wrong and one day i go to church at an unusual time and i walk in there's some cars and i'm like good they're praying and as i'm walking past the prayer room to go to my office i hear my wife's name mentioned and i'm just like i think i'll stop and listen and there's a group of women that are in there praying because my wife wears a wedding band that's a personal conviction that i have i believe that she should she wears a wedding band they were of the persuasion that a wedding band would send you to hell. And they had been having private prayer meetings for several weeks, every day meeting at the church, fasting and praying that God would change my wife and praying all this revelation and praying all this stuff against the authority that God put in her life, which is her husband. So not only are they messing with God, they're messing with me because before you get to God with my wife, you got to deal with me because it's God, me, and then her. Sometimes I don't need to wait on God to fix some stuff. I can fix it myself. Before I knew it, I had opened the door and walked in and started rebuking these women just like they were witches. I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I began to plead the blood. I went, I went off on them. When I got through, they were crying and blubbering and we're sorry. I, I, name of Jesus. I called home. It was amazing. My wife said, I don't know what just happened. I just sit up in bed 
It's like something just happened to me. She said, it's like this cloud just lifted and the darkness lifted. And she began to tell me she was completely healed at that point. I said, these were people praying their human will. There's only two spirits, the spirit of God and the spirit of the devil. And if you're praying anti the word of God, anti the will of God, and you're putting your personal spirit in your personal manipulation, and it's called witchcraft, pray. Am I making any sense? And I'm going to deal in the warfare session. My next session I'm going to teach. I've taught it to you before, but I'm going to get into the symptoms, how to know if this is happening to you. But it happens when somebody's trying to put their human will and trying to manipulate their will on you. And it was amazing. Boom, I prayed for her. I reversed the curse. She got the victory. I told some other stories to the pastor, some things that have happened with friends of mine. Same things started happening in our home again. Having the same symptoms. All this weird stuff going on in the church and our family, my son. Weird stuff happening. I walk in the back of the church, and I usually don't come in like that, but I come in late in the back of the church. I just stopped. I just felt like waiting, and there was a man sitting in the very back, and I, I didn't know what it was. And, but I see him. He's holding something. I just kind of lean over. I don't, you know, I'm just curious see what it is. It's a picture of my family. And around his neck was this medallion and all this kind of stuff, and he was mumbling, and it hit me that he was a warlock. And he was a witch, and he had come, and he had somehow got a picture of my family. We send out pictures for Christmas and all that. He had got a picture, and he was focusing and channeling on that and working witchcraft right in the middle. You know what I did? I prayed the same prayer on him that I prayed on those women. It's amazing how it worked just as effective. He got up, closed his little book, put the picture up, walked out. We never saw him again, and the battle was over. That shows me that the same authority I had against somebody that was operating as of the devil was the same authority as somebody that was praying amiss or praying in the wrong spirit or praying out of the human spirit. The last peril and pitfall of intercessors. It don't sound quite right, brother, but y'all work on it, I'm sure. Uh, ministering out of hurt. This is the last one. Begin to minister out of hurt. This is something the Lord shared with me. One of the greatest lessons I've ever learned outside of there being a God and me not being him. Hurting people hurt people. If someone hurts you, before you judge them and before you say something that could destroy them, stop and ask yourself what's hurting them. A dangerous animal is one that has its foot in a trap or has a thorn in its foot. Hurting people hurt people. And when people get hurt in the church... Sometimes they have wounded spirits. The Bible said that hope deferred maketh the soul or the spirit sick. And people that have had spiritual disappointments in the church can sometimes become so wounded that they turn it and pervert it and can begin to minister out of hurt and out of wounds. And they are ministering condemnation. They minister manipulation. They minister control. They minister bitterness because they're hurt and they're bitter and they're wounded and what they're saying sounds spiritual but it's full of hurt and full of wounds and instead of judging them you must stop and ask yourself okay where are they coming from where did this come from who hurt them who abused them who wounded them what prophecy didn't come to pass what prayer did they pray that didn't come to pass and then it gives you understanding those are the ten pitfalls